Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand and die? Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country. The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious I'm not here to work with them, okay? And the whole point is to have this not fall in the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history. I knew Paul very well. Um, excuse me, I'm going to have a hard time talking about Paul because we had a very special relationship. But I knew him very well, and I'll, I'll do my best to, to answer any questions about him. Well, did he have a nickname? Um, <laughs> he did. They, they called him Little Rooster. And um, did they call him anything else? Well, I mean, he'd been called Little Rooster, had been called, as you heard, Paw Paw. Welcome to Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdoch Murders, Money, and Mystery. I'm Ann Emerson. I am joined by our exclusive legal analyst, Charlie Condon, who is also South Carolina's former attorney general, as well as our executive producer, Drew Tripp. And we have Max Harrison, our chief photog at CIV. He's here to run the boards, handle all the production. He's also the composer of that fantastic lead-in that we have in the music Mm -hmm. as well. So thank you, Max. And he's going to be uh, fielding questions for us this evening. So please reach out if you hear something on these live platforms that you have a question about. And of course, always afterwards, you can reach out to us on our social media platforms. Uh, What you just heard uh, was um, a a very emotional testimony today from John Marvin Mm -hmm. Murdoch. Alex's brother, and he, we had known about his special relationship with his uncle, with his uh, nephew, Paul, especially that he, you know, that Paul worked for him, and and obviously he thought the world of, mm-hmm. of him, and uh, he got very emotional at the very top of this. Uh, as far as a witness, as far as the defense's last witness before they rested today, what did you think? Well, I um, represent people charged with crimes, and in these cases, you want to end strong. And I think the defense did. I thought he was a very strong defense witness. What did you think, Drew? I think it's fair to say John Marvin checked boxes that Alec couldn't, uh, as far as credibility, authenticity, and favor 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 of. Favorability. Strike that word from my vocabulary because I can't say it. Uh, sorry, but but yeah, that that gen- generally mm-hmm. is how I interpreted that. John mm-hmm. came off very strongly, uh, mm-hmm. but I don't know that it mattered in well, the long run. Yeah, we'll we'll see that soon enough. But I did think he sort of also was able to get after the state a little bit on sloppy police work 
for sure. Yeah, and we're gonna be we're gonna be circling back to that mm -hmm. uh, tonight too. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, and not because we're definitely gonna get back to John Marvin, but I, there were a couple of things that happened early on in the day today, and one of which, right off the bat, the defense asked the judge whether or not it would be possible. And we'd heard this in the opening statement. We waited for Dick Harputlian to get back to it, and he got there. He said, "I want to take." the jury to Moselle for a visit. They need to see the property for mm -hmm. themselves. Why did they need to see the property oh, for themselves? I, Judge Newman fan club update. I, I, kudos to him. I thought it was a, a very appropriate decision. I've been looking at the maps and the pictures. I've never been to Moselle, but I did think the, the and nothing like crime scene visit. You, it, and so the juxtaposition of where everything is and it's true. I mean, the state made the point where the pine trees have grown, but they, they, they'll know that it's been a couple of years since since uh, since the murders occurred. And I think being there and seeing where everything is located relative to the testimony they've heard thus far, I think it will lead to a just and fair verdict, uh, much more so than if they hadn't gone personally. So I think it's a really great decision. I I, I tend to agree. I do somewhat wish selfishly that. The court had ruled someone from the media was able to attend as well mm -hmm. and to be able to see the site, not to see the jury, not mm -hmm. to follow the jury around or see anything. But mm -hmm. the court did put out a notice late this afternoon, late this evening, uh, around 630, that no media will be allowed to travel to Moselle and view the site uh, along with the rest of the court. So mm -hmm. that is what it is. But I, I can't I go back to that day we saw from the forensic expert who said uh, that was hired by the defense who made all the theories about uh, how tall the shooter was and things like that and mm -hmm. the 3d visualization he gave to mm -hmm. us just how helpful in that moment seeing mm -hmm. seeing that 3d rendering was for somebody who's not seeing right the rest of the trial it was extraordinarily helpful now granted the jury has seen more than we have mm -hmm. they've seen Un, altered, unedited, unredacted versions of all this. So maybe they have a clearer picture in their mind's eye, but and then if that's the case, why why do we need to take them out there and let them see the crime scene? I think it'll be extraordinarily illuminating. I do too, and um, I think that for this jury to have gone as far as they have in this trial... Yes, yeah. It's and, not like we hadn't spent time right on this case, so why not spend four more hours and let them go out there? Exactly. We're talking about a half a day. I think everybody in the press corps probably took a deep breath. Mm -hmm. Everybody in that courtroom took a deep breath when they heard, okay, we're going to spend a half a day because we are all sort of uh, in our heads maybe mm -hmm. manufacturing this sort of like... Mm -hmm. um, right a timeline of our own that this would be finished up this week but uh this is absolutely going to i think for all those visual learners out there especially um this is going to help a tremendous amount but there was another thing i was going to say about that just quickly was there was a disturbing thing that came out over the weekend because there's been such a circus around this whole um uh, this this whole murder trial honestly this salacious sort of attitude about it at times um there were people out there that were actually trespassing from what we heard from the mm -hmm. defense people were trespassing onto the moselle to take selfies over in certain areas wow. which was hard to hear mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but not totally surprising we also heard there were a lot of cars parked out there so mm -hmm. um yeah it was just uh, it was just a moment it was just another moment where you realize just how crazy this had actually gotten 
to some degree. Who knew a, a phrase that I have learned through all this is uh, disaster tourism. And hmm. it's not just, uh, there, I think there's another one that um, specifically relates to this, but the people who have, I have a friend who has a hmm. home on Edison Beach who is a neighbor of a neighbor to where the Murdochs live on Edisto. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says he's had people coming up and knocking on his door, Is that right? wanting to talk to him. And there's just a steady stream of cars and quiet little Edisto coming up and down his street wow. to where they lived. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to seem like I lack self-awareness. Like we fully get what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. We're media we're hosting a daily podcast and video live stream update about this mm-hmm. trial. And we have covered this relentlessly uh, for years now at this point, this whole, this whole thing. But at the same time, I, you know, I, maybe I'm wrong here, but I see John Marvin and Buster and Randy and Lynn and their family walking up and down the sidewalk every day, walking right past me, coming, going by the media center when they're go- coming to and fro I don't go jump in their face and gawk at them and stick a phone in their face. And I certainly would not go onto someone's property. And I'd encourage you, if you're listening to us, uh, never to do that. Don't do that. Don't go. It's fine to ride by. Sure. Uh, You're well within your rights to park on the shoulder of the road and stop. If you need to take a Mm -hmm. picture from the road, but don't go on somebody's property. That's you're, 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 breaking the law at that point. And it won't last forever, right? I mean, let's mm-hmm. be honest. Like this has a this this will the the interest will recede, you know, mm-hmm. as as there's a verdict is handed down too, but For sure. I wanted to um, talk about another really interesting part of today's uh, uh, testimony. And these were some experts that were flown in by the defense to sort of tackle uh, the pathology report, as well as the um, crime scene mm-hmm. report. Mm-hmm. And let's go ahead and play the clip. It is about, well, I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but um, this is the second gentleman who got up there who did the crime scene expert. Ah. He came in from Connecticut. Connecticut. And um, he kind of refutes some of the things about this crime scene. I, I think this is interesting. I think there is just more or less a... a in the in the anybody who deals with firearms a logical argument here why would you bring why would one shooter bring two long rifles two long weapons to the event you can't handle and shoot two of them so you either got to put one down use one or and then swap out and grab the other one or i suppose you could have one on a sling but that's quite awkward and it's slipping around and it's banging around in an environment we know is very is very very tight Okay, so basically he says, you know, that we've been looking at this one shooter, uh, one person, the state says the defendant used two guns in this double murder, and this is what we've been hearing about all along, and here comes the defense with an expert who's very credible, incredibly well uh, positioned in his field, and just blows it out of the water and says, no, there's, this has got to be two shooters, it doesn't make good sense. Um, and, and I wonder how the jury's going to react to that. Well, I think we, you know, to paint the scene a little bit more, perhaps, we had the forensic pathologist from Georgia disagree on one shot from the MUSC pathologist, but basically he was saying the shots were all in the front, and it couldn't have been shots, as she opined, 
basically from behind. And I thought to myself, well, really, does it make a difference from the state standpoint? I think the purpose of that testimony would be to, to basically discredit to some degree, the state's forensic pathologist, so that the crime scene expert could then say, oh, I'm sure Dr. Ken Kinsey, who's a great expert, but he's made his error because it's based upon erroneous information from the get-go from the pathologist that's been bootstrapped through him through the crime scene. I'm here to set the record straight that it had to be or it should have been two shooters. Now, I did pick up in his opinion on the two-shooter. He gave himself a little bit of a a wiggle room in that most probably or most likely, but he was firm in in the opinion. And I just, I think we're, here, here it comes. Uh, I just think the state's case tomorrow is gonna, another pivotal moment here. First of all, it was a cross-examination of defendant Murdoch. And I think that we passed the test on that in my view with Creighton Waters on that. Some may, may criticize the style or asking too many open-ended questions. I thought it was effective. So I think we're, where we are now in this trial, the state has this rebuttal case starting tomorrow. Should last the day, maybe a day and a half. And I think Dr. Ken Kinsey is going to come down to that from the juror standpoint. Do you believe the expert from Orangeburg or do you believe the expert from Connecticut? Because if they believe the expert from Connecticut, it's inconsistent with the state's theory of, of, of Alec Murdoch committing these murders. And I, again, I, maybe I'm a bit too much of a Ken Kinsey fan, but having seen him testify before, I think the state is wisely using him as their, one of their last witnesses in this case because my anticipation would be that they're going to end strong with him. Well, and King Kenzie is from Orangeburg, as you said. So this is, as he said, I'm just, you know, I'm in this really far away place, <laughs> yeah. Orangeburg. Yeah. So it's been easy for Ken to be at these, not easy, mm -hmm. he's got a job, he's a busy man, mm -hmm. but, but it's easier for him to be here to really take in all of this testimony. What did you think of the Connecticut expert today? Look at me, I'm calling him a Connecticut expert. <laughs> You're making a face. <laughs> the camera can see me making the face. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'll, I'll speak anecdotally. I, I'm, I use guns. I'm a gun owner. I've grown up around them uh, and uh, using them in, uh, for target practice and hunting and just mm -hmm. self-defense training. Whatever. I, I have a I fairly, feel like I'm no expert, but I have a, fairly strong background in firearms myself. And some of what he's saying did not, did not click with me. What didn't? Uh, Tell uh, me, give me some. Okay, particularly, I felt like the whole theory that Paul's, uh, he, he basically, if you missed it, he said Paul would have been down on his hands and knees or hunched over where his head was no more than one or two feet from the ground. Backing up for a second, we know we know that Ken Kinsey's theory on the fatal shot suffered by Paul Murdoch would have come from an upward angle down low toward the ground, shooting upward at Paul, which would explain why there was so much blood and brain matter. And again, sorry to be so graphic. We know we know that this is gory at this point. It would explain why so much biological material was on the top of the door and why and splattered into the feed room and why there were mm -hmm. um, defects as they would call them deformations in the door from where the pellets had struck the door um, from the gunshot exit wound uh, the pellets going through Paul's anatomy um, up at the top of the door so 
This guy comes and says, well, no, for, for that theory to work with for the state, they assumed that Paul was slightly hunched over, but was still upright, and he was just kind of leaning at an angle, and that's how it explains the shot, grazed the top of his shoulder, went into his shoulder a bit, and then up through his neck and chin, or neck and jaw, and out of his head. Okay, well, this guy comes along and says, no, it was way more likely that Paul was down on the ground or hunched over, doubled over, with his head about one or two feet off the ground, and the shooter was shooting straight down at the exact opposite right, angle. Right. Contact, too. Yeah, a contact. contact. Like put the gun right up against his head, pulled the trigger, and there you have it. And part of that theory from him was that the, essentially, again, and apologies for the gory detail here, that Paul's brain case, his skull, captured so much of the energy of that shotgun blast that it essentially threw the but the birdshot pellets straight back up the way they'd come to the detriment of the shooter himself. Probably in this guy theorized that the shooter himself or herself was probably injured from the blowback of the um, shotgun pellets and that they came back with such force that it explained why there were birdshot pellets stuck in the door frame and had damaged the door and yeah, the, the shooter himself was probably injured by it, or at and least stunned. stunned. I'm with you on that. I, I, I don't understand that at all. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't get it. I, I'm sorry. That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, it, the, and I'm, I'm not an expert. It would make much more sense to me that if that were the case, uh, to share in a, a point made by one of the defense or one of the state's experts you would have expected to see some pulverization or li liquefaction of the, um, what I think they called it maceration of Paul's brain tissue. Mm -hmm. And we didn't it, see it, 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 it's already horrible. It's already terrible. And again, I'm sorry to go on this long rant. That was my main thing. You telling me that it's, the, the bullets went in there, the pe shot pellets went into him with such force and bounced back, back out with, also tremendous force that they likely would have gone into the shooter and lodged themselves in the door. I'm sorry. I just don't buy that. That's, that's not generally how it works. It's physics, right? It's, it's going in a straight line and it's going to tend to go in a straight I have line. A strong sufficient. Dr. Kinsey's going to agree with you. Yeah. Uh, and the other, the other, the other comment he made was, uh, it, having a AR-15 on a sling doesn't make too much sense because it would be shaking all around and knocking it would be unwieldy and clumsy and not if you buy a good sling and not if you've got a good sling on it. Uh, and that's, that's my take on it. And also we've got to realize that these are, that your average AR 15 is designed to be compact. Yeah. And also I think he was talking to about the regular crime scene and a regular murder. He's not taking into account that we have a very experienced trial lawyer, mm -hmm. an experienced assistant solicitor who knows that the first suspect in this case is going to be, it's going to be he. He will be the main suspect. So why not make it look like I couldn't have done it? There are two shooters. We have all sorts of confusion on, on buckshot versus birdshot. I, I, I don't think it takes into account the actual facts of this case. So that's my two cents on that. Yeah, I, I, I don't think so either. And he also admitted he was only shown 
he, like other defense experts, was only showing partial case files. Right. And also, well, they're working on a bill too. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know how Ken Kinsey gets folded yeah. into this lead investigation. And yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know because I haven't asked, honestly, um, how that, how these expert, mm -hmm. how his expert testimony is handled um, from like a, how is he? Yeah, you know, one interesting legal point, I, I, I want to put this out to our listeners, is that under our discovery rules, is it's called reciprocal discovery. So you, the defense files a discovery request, the state files what's called a reciprocal discovery request under Rule 5, and you're entitled to the reports of any expert witnesses. You notice that none of the experts for the defense have any reports? Right. So I thought that was a very interesting tactical decision. That's why they kept asking me, who's in a report? Because oh, if, if there was a report, there's going to be, you're going to have a... Show your work. rocket go off in that courtroom if there were a report, and so there were none. So that's oh, that was okay. That's very interesting, actually. That's what they asked. Well, there was um, this circling back, if y'all are ready. That was excellent, though. That was what I was hoping to learn a little bit more about was how we should be looking at this defense. So I think some of the information there was actually going to be very interesting for tomorrow because we now know that we've got four or five rebuttal witnesses. Um, we're expecting because we've seen King Kenzie there every day, he's probably going to come back to have a lot to talk about on these experts. Um, so let's get back to John Marvin for a moment, because I think one of the strongest parts to the defense that we've heard about, or at least the one that they keep hammering home, is that SLED didn't do their job. SLED didn't take care of this crime mm -hmm. scene. Um, there are holes in this crime scene. We can't you cannot say with without some reasonable doubt that, you know. So let's listen to what happened. Basically, I'll set it up for just a, a millisecond. John Marvin gets to uh, Moselle the day after. He's already been there that night, gone through the drama of learning about the deaths of Maggie and Paul, the murders. And then the next day he comes back with Alec and Buster in Brooklyn. And he goes down on his own down to the kennels um, because he, he felt compelled to go down there and sort of see where all of this happened. And I can promise you, no mother or father or aunt or uncle should ever have to see and do what I did that day. I don't know, I, I, I'm not blaming anybody, but it's just, it, I was just overwhelmed. I did everything I could. It's the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. I kept that clip up a little bit, and it did go on a little bit longer, actually. But to, to let you guys know, what he says he did was he, John Marvin says he went in there to clean up what SLED had not cleaned up or the crime scene. What they'd uh, left folks. behind. Uh, what they had left behind and that that intimates a lot that you know basically implies that that maybe sled had not finished doing the crime scene work that they needed to do was that hurtful for the state do you think i don't think any more 
damaging than it has than than what's already been done. I, I honestly don't. Uh, I, I think we've hammered that point home enough, and I, I've certainly made that point here uh, on this podcast that I feel like sled left the door wide open for criticism of how they've handled it. And there, I'm sure, are internal dis- internal conversations and hindsight being 2020 and how they could have handled it better. But as far as being impactful and hearing a firsthand account of how terrible it was from John Marvin, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it did affect a jury. Again, I'm not there reading the juries. Right, right. Uh, yeah. I think what might have happened, too, is if you step back from what was going on, you had the coroner show up mm-hmm. for to do his duties, and then the forensic pathologist, she's in Charleston, doesn't go to the crime scene. And I'm thinking the crime scene person from SLED thought, well, and it's true, that law enforcement typically does not get into or is responsible for, in effect, cleaning up blood right. from, from murder cases. But this was a little bit different, I thought, in that, as I understood it, there was a piece of the skull there mm-hmm. in brain matter. So I think, in hindsight, I'm sure they wish they would have been a bit more active in securing that um, those body parts, really, and for the purposes either forensic examination or just in terms of being complete here. So it's it's a bit different. It's not just blood, it was more than that. And I particularly think they um, wish they would have done more, particularly with the skull part. I think that could have been helpful for the forensic exam as well. So I think somebody missed something there and I'm sure they're gonna learn from this. Yeah. Uh, But to that point, I mean, how much more does the jury have to hear about a, a gory crime scene? Yeah, and you know, at the end of the day, if it, it well, there were there were a few that were not even looking. Yeah. I'll be honest. Like, yeah, no, the, they've seen the, the autopsy yeah, at that point. Right. Our jury was starting to mm-hmm. physically not be able to right. look at what was being shown. Right. I think it was that disturbing, and I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not a medical person and you can't compartmentalize this mm-hmm. stuff to some degree to look at. You know, honestly, there were like glimpses of the paper that you yeah. could almost. And by like, the way, I, oh. I do think maybe she mentioned this too. I do think that it was a strategic decision, typically in a murder case. The defense objects to horrible autopsy forensic pictures, so it inflames the jury. Well, they didn't object here, and I really think it was came into their overall defense strategy because I do think those expert opinions could have been had with black and whites or not using them all. Okay. So I think what they're thinking is let them show see all this how horrible it is so. We know from testing that they know that jurors would have a hard time believing a father would kill a son and a and a and a wife over financial crimes. So I think it was actually tactical that let's let them see how horrible it is, so they couldn't imagine that our client would do it. I think that's part well, of the thinking. And so I have a question for you, Charlie, from Carolyn Barron. She wrote in um, about uh this case as well she wanted to know in closing arguments would it be wise or is it a strategy ever to um have uh other cases where um uh, there's been some family murders of of high profile cases where someone who uh, who did she give examples of there's lots of examples of cases where mm-hmm. uh there's a wife child murderers right. um that these kind of crimes do exist yeah, and yeah. people actually do do these things yeah. it, to the point that uh, Creighton Waters made um, last week, which mm-hmm. was, are you asking Alec Murdoch, 
Are you a family annihilator? Which is a term for someone who yeah, I learned that. I didn't kills that. their family. Yeah, that was interesting. Well, yeah. that's actually it. I think it's too good of an idea because I think the danger here is, and I'm sure he won't do it, is that the general law, which I think makes lots of sense, argue the facts of this case. Don't bring in other cases. So I think he looks at either a defense objection or uh, a uh, scolding from the judge. And if everyone lets it in, I think you've got an issue on appeal that could be reversible error. So I'm sure he's just going to argue the facts of this case. So that's a very interesting point. Now, if they had an expert mm -hmm. that sort of wove it into an expert opinion, possibly we don't have that. So there's no evidence that's in the, in the record for other cases. So he's got to stick to this case only. Well, another journalist I was speaking with who I, who, who I talked to about this case sometimes, uh, he, he said, why did they let that go? Like, why didn't they explain what a family annihilator was? Like, why are we all Googling this now? Why wasn't that something that, that Creighton told us um, what that, I mean, I guess it's yeah, obvious, but I, it, it actually has yeah, a deeper meaning. Yeah, it's apparently a, it's a thing. syndrome or something that's out there. Well, yeah, I mean, to the point where it has to be some catastrophic mm -hmm. occurrence. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm sure somebody out there is going to yeah, tell me Yeah, there's no testimony better, on that. And, and it states uh, chief in case in chief. There's no nothing on the defense. So they can't bring it up in replies. So there's no evidence about that. Other than that question, he denied it. So I think it's done. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. Can they bring it up in their replies? Tomorrow. I think it's too late. I mean, is that, that one of the expert witnesses? No, he denied being a family annihilator. They put no proof in. I don't think so. I think it'd be really risky. And you start putting up an expert on that single topic, mm -hmm. uh, I'd be a bit surprised. But I've been surprised in this case before. Okay. Good to know. Well, Max, did you get any questions out there that we need to tackle tonight? Any probing questions right now? I had a bunch of you... Um, Oh, I wanted to actually go, I've got a question too, about the raincoat. Uh, we were talking, John yeah, Marvin was bringing up the raincoat. Yeah, sort of left out, and yeah, we really haven't, in the state's cross-examination of Alec Murdoch, that wasn't brought up. It just sort of faded away. And by the way, to mention, and we'll, I guess we'll see this in closing argument, but as I recall, there are two, Alec Murdoch testified that two statements by two state witnesses was incorrect. Not with this, Drew. You have a good yep. memory on this. But were the two statements? One was three. Uh, three actually, he three. he contradicted Blanca. He mm -hmm. said Blanca's testimony. She she misremembered. She right. and mischaracterized what yeah. the conversation was. He said Shelly Smith. Well, he never was out there at six o'clock in the mm -hmm. morning, and he didn't carry in a blue raincoat or anything. Mm -hmm. um, he contradicted her. He contradicted her on what she said mm -hmm. that. Uh, what their conversation was like. And he also contradicted Jeannie Seconder and said oh, she might want That's to remember right. it a that was certain way. Yeah. And John Marvin addressed that too today. Yeah. And to an extent, he said, um, if Jeannie Seconder, if Alec told Jeannie Seconder that on when they spoke on June 7th that Rand, their father Randolph's prognosis was terminal, Alec was mistaken. Or if Jeannie assumed that from the conversation, she was also mistaken. And if she said that in court, she was mistaken. Uh, he didn't, you know, impugn it farther than that to say who said what or get mm -hmm. into the hearsay. But yeah, they there have been three. Yeah, yeah. To so, your point, so I think that Vantage stayed on that because you have three credible people that say something, and the defendant denies saying it, and so that all feeds into which I think is going to be central to the state's closing argument. And their position is that you cannot trust anything Alec Murdoch says. 
And you cannot trust him when he says he didn't kill his wife and son. I was lying all these times, but I'm not lying now. Mm -hmm. And I did, yeah. And just because I lied to everybody in my entire family, including my entire family, uh, I'm telling the truth now. Right, yeah, right. It's, and, it's a tough, it's a mm -hmm. tough place to be. Mm -hmm. There was another question, and this has been bothering me too, is about the running water. Didn't we hear about the running water in the kennel video? What do we know about the hose, the water? Is that something that's going to get brought up again, or does that just also go away? Is that, is that just raising suspicions about... It kind of went, went away too, didn't I thought the hose thing... Remember the direct examination on the hose with the endearing caretaker? I forget his name. Uh, Roger Davis. Yeah, and he mm -hmm. did a good job when I put it up a certain way, but then it went away because here it is in the, 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 the picture that the state introduced where it's unraveled. So that went away. That was puzzling. So that was sort of a... It's a loose thread, of, right? Yeah, it was less a, a thread that's gone, I think, right? Well, there's a big thread that um, we spent a lot of time in pretrial motions over, and John Marvin wanted oh, to yeah, bring up shirt. again today. Yeah, that got the t-shirt. Yeah, that was good. That's a sloppy police work that he got in through really the back door. So that was effective from, this, from the defense. That's in the record. Yeah. yeah you, so that's good. I mean, for them. If, if you missed that, and I, I'm sure for most of you following this trial at this point, you know how much has been made over the T-shirt Alec was wearing the night of the of the night when law enforcement and first responders arrived. The T-shirt mm -hmm. that was eventually seized and was blood tested, but then the blood test was not forwarded to the right person. Then and it was blood tested another way, and then it was ruined, and it came back positive for the for the other blood test, but negative for one. That whole T-shirt. Well, we heard John Marvin testify today uh, that. When they were finally, this past summer, 20, summer 2022, when the family was finally briefed on what evidence the state had against Alec, that t-shirt came up. And they, they went so far as to point out a moment in the video, and I'm looking forward at some point tonight to going back and watching this and try and finding it from what was publicly released from the body camera video. But apparently, Alec, at one point, reaches up or takes the bottom of his shirt and pulls it up and wipes his face uh, like mm -hmm. that. And they said they tested that specific spot on his shirt and it came back positive for blood. And they told John Marvin, there's blood all over the shirt. Is there? Uh, but as far as we know, and the state, the state has never formally introduced any blood, any blood on the shirts. And they never brought in that expert witness yes. that they had to. Yeah. Um, help me with this because I'm always puzzled by that because it seemed like the state's case, which is now the case, it would always been stronger with the change of clothes, mm -hmm. which is what they're arguing now, right? They changed his clothing after the killings. Yes, and I think that the issue is they had gone down, um, they had gone down the road of because of this clerical or not clerical error, but re record keeping error where where the right. Sled agent didn't get the reports mm -hmm. saying that there was no blood. Um, they went down a, the T-shirt rabbit trail for months and months and months mm -hmm. and invested a ton of time in that. And it was before they got Paul's phone open and got that video off of it right. to, to be able to say that there was no... Uh, well, when did they get the Snapchat video? Well, the Snapchat video was... Uh, it would have been... Yeah, no, no, that would have been relative... <clears throat> Yeah, I can't. Now I'm getting. Now my timelines are. That's the one with the tree, right? Yeah, that's the one with the tree, right? Where he had different clothing on than when he called nine one one. I was thinking of the kennel video for some reason. I I don't 
recalling, I'd have to go check my notes to see uh, someone out there, if you're listening and right. know off the top of your head, because I, I- It's much later, the kennel video, isn't it? Yeah. The yeah, kennel video wasn't until March. Right, which is- And that finally got brought in, and that's when they went all, that was the kennel video. Mm -hmm. And the, I'm sure they would have gotten that Snapchat video mm -hmm. from Snapchat, yeah. and if not one of yeah. Paul's friends, yeah. much now, What is the that. best defense argument for why Alec, who's cooperative, supposedly everything, didn't say he was at the kennel? I just think that explanation you had is yeah, and I think tough to swallow. Right? He's paranoid. Thoroughly. He's an assistant solicitor. He's paranoid about law enforcement or SLED yeah. and doesn't want to. Uh, it was, I don't know, that's troubling. Well, today. you know, I mean, you can, I've let myself go there. Like, I definitely have let myself go there a few times with what would it feel like to be at a place and know that you were just there and you've got these paranoid, you know, he, you know, he said he was paranoid about these sort of things. Mm -hmm. Could you, would you ever like, lie that one time to Daniel Green and then feel compelled to continue the lie? Or would you, or I don't know, that's what he's imagine. saying. And, and I'm trying to understand maybe just for a second where that's coming from. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot to buy. Also knowing that Rogan Gibson had already, right. Rogan Gibson had yeah. already gone to police within 24 yeah. hours. And he didn't tell John Marvin. I thought the state let him go John a little bit on that one too, because he, John Marvin did testify that he didn't tell him. And I don't know if you're going to bring that up. I think if you're cooperating, you're the dear brother, and you want you aren't satisfied with the case being solved or whatever, like, wait a minute, now your brother waits till trial to say something that's so important to finding the killer you want to have found. Why do you give him such credence? I, I know you have to do that carefully because he's a grieving brother, but I, know. I thought that was a... You don't want to upset him on the stand, do mm -hmm. you? Yeah, but I thought that was a... Um, I mean, he, had, he agreed, right, with the state that his brother didn't tell anybody until he testified. Yeah. Max. Doesn't the deleting of his uh, cell phone kind of... Um, oh, the, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for yet another um, hole that we haven't gotten answered yet. Yep, that's another one. Um, well, what, what I do remember us talk, uh, hearing from the defense side was that Listen, you know, when you're a when you're a lawyer, you know you've gotta wasn't somebody saying that on like Friday, just saying, you know, well you know you've gotta you've gotta delete these calls because it could look bad or something like that. You just do those things as a lawyer. So I thought that I thought that was where they were going with it with the testimony. Lord. I know, but seventy three calls were deleted um in this Right, and his period. explanation was, uh, uh, who knows, but I'm smart, I'm a, I'm a experienced lawyer, I knew those would show up on the cell phone bill, which I thought was an interesting uh, explanation. I think, so it, was said that. it was himself that was talking <laughs> said, about yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, he said, I, 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 in his testimony, so they were trying to cover some weak points of, of uh, I think, the, the defense's case. Mm -hmm. But I think it's fair to say, wouldn't everyone agree that they made some headway today, right, with their witnesses, yeah. and there, it was a positive day overall for the defense. I... No? Yeah, I I can buy that. It, more than anything, you you introduced reintroduced the seed of doubt about the two shooter theory. And Charlie, I said this to you right before we mm -hmm. came on air. I I do not think all things considered, I do not think that the idea of multiple people being involved, two shooters, or one shooter and an accomplice, or one shooter and multiple accomplices. I don't think that that has been completely in my mind ruled out. But uh, to that point, on the, the, on the, the opposite dogs end. Did, the dogs didn't do it for you. Yeah. Uh, 
it, it, it could have been someone the dogs knew. That that mm -hmm. could also be an issue, and it could also have occurred after, mm -hmm. you know, after the fact of mm -hmm. when that video occurred. I'm just saying that while that is true in my head, what's also true in my head is they this state has done more than enough to prove Alec Murdoch was there. And if, again, if you're wanting to play devil's advocate mm -hmm. and say, yeah, maybe he wasn't involved, but he was there and he has to know something. Right. I think that's where we are in this case is he was there and he has to know something. Right. Even if you buy that he wasn't the one pulling the trigger, which I think the evidence at this point is too right. strongly against yeah. that idea that yeah. to think that he wasn't involved, yeah. even if there were two people yeah. involved. By the way, I was also curious of your take on, do you catch how their forensic pathologist said that their first witness, the coroner, was using no signs in his time of death estimate? I thought yeah. that was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Their own witnesses contradicted their, I think it was their first witness or mm -hmm. the second one. Richard coroner. Harvey. And I thought, I don't know, what was the purpose of bringing that up? Because it seemed like they'd want to leave the time of death at nine, which is better for them, and now we now believe it's going to be the cell phone well time of death so to speak i i would i'd like to know how many of the people on the jury have ever met richard harvey before at uh that'd be everybody or one of his deputy coroners mm -hmm. and i bet they've had some personal involvement with him mm -hmm. at some point or a, a good many of those jurors have probably had some mm -hmm. personal interaction with richard harvey at some point as well with chief mccroy right as, you know, as well as chief barry yeah. mccroy and a lot of the people yeah. that are involved here and you're going to go up and land and what this amounted to today was the defense lampooning one of its own witnesses and may, trying to make a very well-respected man in this community look bad not so a great idea. It's a little bit of a lapse there, right, from the defense. I was I, curious about that. So it's a lapse to me. And look, I, I, I get it. I understand there's nothing scientific about sticking your hand up under someone's arm. And right. I, but I think what's been right. so lost in so much of the, the online, yes, ha uh, ha, laughing, uh, unbelievable rhetoric around what the coroner did is the context of where he was and what he was doing. He was surrounded by people he knew. I'm sure he knew the mm -hmm. And again, some people are using that to impugn him. And, and I, that's a fair criticism too. The Murdoch's got special treatment. I understand that as well. But at the same time, the, the, the converse end of this is what it really comes down to is, did you want the coroner to pull Maggie and Paul Murdoch's pants down in the middle of a crime scene with their Right. Husband and father still right there, and family still right, right there, and relatives still right there. Pull their pants down and stick a thermometer up their backside in front of all those people. And also, so there's true. what we're hearing is there's blood everywhere, and it's been raining, and they're trying to. It's an obvious crime scene, and they're trying to leave as little right. impact as possible. Yeah. Again, maybe I'm giving them too much credit, and I, no, I, I don't think do, so. Not, but I was curious why why did why they're expert they brought down or brought up from Georgia would attack the coroner on his opinion when that opinion would it put him up to helping. Yeah. And he didn't have any opinion on himself on time of death. It was just another curious development was, in the Burma trial. It was very it was very um apropos of Dick Harputley and his his courtroom mannerisms and his seeming uh personality and how he tends to be very flippant and oh. nothing yeah. else. Oh, no, yeah. Sorry, I was just uh, <laughs> getting magnificent, sorry. Anyway, that's, that's really, 
I think just off the top of my head, while we're still talking and while we're still going, uh, the thing looking back to Friday and I don't know how much of we, we had touched on it in the podcast on Friday, but I think what sold me more than anything, and I started to say this Friday is we felt miles and miles away from, um, you know, just the initial theory of motive that he didn't want to be found out and was trying to buy himself time to get out of, get himself out of trouble. And the, Missing ingredient in that for me, I think, was put into perspective Friday, which was the opioid addiction. And if you're giving Alec Murdoch the benefit of the doubt that he was being even half truthful about how severe his pill addiction was and how mm-hmm. badly it had progressed, I think that's your I think that's your straw that breaks the proverbial camel's back in in an otherwise hard to believe, extraordinary, perhaps nonsensical theory of it just doesn't all add up. Why you put in addiction and severe addiction and the brain changes it causes on an otherwise rational and intelligent and well-meaning person. You throw that yeah. little wild card in there. also testified he was paranoid that day. Yeah. I think that is absolutely true. And I think that's what John Marvin was talking about when he was driving him to rehab. He was giving mm-hmm. us some very explicit mm-hmm. sort of right. what it was like being in the car with Alec yeah. Murdoch that, at that rehab drive. And it was it was bad. Yeah. Actually, he well, said his paranoid the next day, didn't he? That's right. When he talked to the second interview. That was the next day with Agent Owen, wasn't it? The second day. Yeah, he well, said he was paranoid. That so was he said he was paranoid was that, like night. that night. But... And well, then, night. Okay, so, so there you have it. It was a few hours, mm-hmm. three hours after mm-hmm. the crime. Which Creighton picked apart very masterfully, mm-hmm. I felt like. Well, I'm going to wrap it up for tonight, yes. you guys. Good. I want to say thank you so much. Uh, great insight. You know, we we're, we're just had the defense rest. We've got uh, four or five rebuttal witnesses coming up for the prosecution. We have a visit to Moselle. We have closing arguments. We have charges to the jury. We have the jury deliberation. And we're supposed to try and get this done this week. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see you tomorrow night for sure. Thanks. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.